Filthy Henry and the Impossible Victim, Chapter 2. Teleportation was something Shelley had only ever experienced once before in her entire life. It was a strange method of transportation, apparently employed by various races of the fairy folk in place of walking. On the face of it, the idea seemed logical enough. You were in one location, magic happened, then you were in a completely new location. All without the inconvenience of having to actually move between locations or burn up any calories from the tiny amount of exercise that walking gave. Which was all fine, from a fairy point of view. After all, the people had grown up with magic in their blood, learning how to perform this little trick as soon as they could click their heels together. For a human, it took a little getting used to. Not the actual translocation side of things. That made perfect, if somewhat fantastical, sense. It was the bit in between that Shelley was bothered by. Filthy Henry had explained it to her a few weeks before, having used the teleportation spell on Shelley so that she could avoid an early demise from a newly created vampire. For the briefest of moments, according to the fairy detective, as your body was torn apart on an atomic level in one location, only to be rebuilt exactly as before in a new place. There was an instance when you were neither here nor there. You simply were nowhere. Whatever this stage of teleportation involved, there was a definite point in time that meant you had no physical form. Yet your mind was still intact, observing and computing and trying to figure out just how it had managed to misplace something so important as your body. Then, just as suddenly as it all began, it was over once more. You appeared at your destination, all limbs accounted for, and more importantly, in the correct places. Apparently during the early days of the spell, there was no such guarantee, but that was when one race tried to teleport a member of a different type of fairy. Nowadays, it was all very safe, the magical kinks fully ironed out. But Filthy Henry claimed not too many fairy folk had thought about the in-between stage of a teleportation spell, merely assuming it was truly instantaneous. The fairy detective was fairly sure he was the only person in Ireland who knew about the delay at all. The nanosecond of nothingness, as he liked to call it. So as Shelley and Filthy Henry arrived, she tried not to dwell too long on how there had been a moment of being incorporeal, the effects of the spell tingling over her skin briefly as the magic dissipated. She half expected a voice from the air to announce that they had arrived at their destination. Why is there that strange smell? Shelley asked Filthy Henry. When you teleported me, there wasn't any strange smell afterwards. Filthy Henry sniffed experimentally at the air and shrugged. Different brand of magic used to cast the spell is all, he said, looking around at where they had landed. It seemed to be an empty field near some housing estates, but beyond that Shelley had no clue where they had ended up. Her phone, with handy little map application, was back at the office in her coat. Look behind you, a voice said in a very pantomime sort of way. They both turned around and saw Garda Downey standing beside two people lying on the ground. One of the forlorn figures was covered in what looked like orange paint. The other just seemed to be asleep. Downey, Filthy Henry said, nodding his head by way of a greeting. He put his hands into his coat pockets and walked over to the leerling. Hello again, Shelley said, waving her hand. You didn't crash into these two flying around as a swan, did you? Filthy Henry, 
who had knelt down beside the paint-covered person, looked up briefly at Shelley and smiled at her. You've been hanging round with that idiot too long, Danny said, motioning with his thumb at the ferry detective. Well, what sort of assistant would it be if I wasn't? She began. You're not my bloody assistant, Filthy Henry cut her off. Shelley knew very little of the history between the fairy detective and the Leerling. Filthy Henry was generally reviled throughout the fairy world. He was a half-breed. One parent had been human and the other a fairy. The end result was a human with the ability to cast magic and see the fairy world easily. Something that was in direct violation of the rules. But even though he was almost universally hated by the fairy folk, they needed him for some things. Primarily when a fairy broke the rules and risked exposing the fairy world to humans, or if a human somehow figured out something about fairies. Filthy Henry was the neutral party that either side could rely on to set things right. Even though what the rules actually were, were seemingly open to many interpretations. Downey had had to deal with the fairy detective regularly, mainly due to his position within the Garda Siakona. Ireland's police force, it turned out, had more than their fair share of fairy folk working amongst the ranks meaning they were a true equal opportunities employer, whether they knew the full extent of that or not. If any fairy caught whiff of a crime that had some human-fairy interactions in it, then Filthy Henry was called to solve the case. But just because the fairy detective was useful did not mean in any way that the fairy folk enjoyed dealing with him. Then again, Shelley always thought that could have had something to do with his personality. Half-breed racism aside. Shelley flashed Danny a smile and looked at Filthy Henry. He was searching in his coat pockets for something. She walked over and looked at the two figures on the ground. So what's going on here? She asked Danny. Seriously this time. No bad jokes. Well, this one you can ignore, Danny said, nudging the figure nearest to him with his left foot. He's a new guarder that I was meant to be babysitting today. He didn't do as I told him and wait in the car. He ended up fainting as a result of seeing the body. Shelley looked down at the orange-covered man on the ground. He's dead? she asked. As in the proverbial doornail, Filthy Henry said. So how come you called me? What's suggesting that this was somehow a human fairy thing? The last part was directed at Downey. Honestly, I just happened to be in the neighbourhood and noticed a big flash of magical light. Figured I should investigate what caused it. If you must know, I didn't even want you involved. It was the other pair that brought you here, Downey said. Other pair? Shelley asked, looking around the empty field, genuinely confused. The fairy detective grinned. All right then, show yourself, he said. There was a strange ripple in the air right beside the orange-covered body. It reminded Shelley of wind blowing on the surface of a pond. Except there was no pond, and in general, air did not move like water. From within the visually impressive feature, two men appeared, dressed in suits. One of them was overweight, while the other reminded Shelley of a creepy old pervert that used to live on her mother's road. Trying to be as casual as possible, she moved around the body, standing closer to Downey and further away from the man in the dark suit. Something about the creepy-looking man, presumably a fairy, just gave her bad vibes. Well now, Filthy Henry said, standing up straight. Isn't this a surprise? Didn't expect to see you ambling around down here any time soon. It's nice to see you too, boy, the overweight man said. Shelley instinctively turned on her fairy vision, the second sight she had been given by Filthy Henry, which allowed her to see into the fairy world. 
Generally, she flicked between it and her normal vision without even thinking, getting great enjoyment for being able to see, and not see, the fairy folk at will. The fact that she had seen these two fairies arrive without her magical vision turned on meant they were not trying to hide their presence from the human population. It did mean that they would be using a spell to disguise their real appearance, however. What surprised her was how different the pair of them looked with the magical veil that hid the fairy world pulled away. The creepy-looking one was still creepy, but in place of his black suit, he now wore a black robe. From the end of it, little whiffs of black smoke bellowed out. His face remained unchanged, two completely black eyes staring at the world. For all intents and purposes, he reminded Shelley of a human version of Satan. All he needed was a set of horns protruding out from his sleeked black hair. His associate was also different when viewed with fairy sight. He too wore a long robe, but his was a dazzlingly brilliant white. The beard on his face had a slight glow coming from it, almost as if there were little lights tangled in the hairs. It reminded Shelley of those little fibre-optic Santa statues you could get at Christmas. At his feet stood a large empty black iron cauldron, a cauldron that most definitely was not there when Shelley turned off her magical vision and once again looked at the two suited men before her. Who are they? Shelley asked Filthy Henry, staring down at the fat man's feet and trying to figure out where the cauldron was. Ah, of course, my manners, Filthy Henry said in his usual sarcastic way. Please let me introduce Da. Before he could finish, Shelley interrupted him. Your dad? In the few months that she had known Filthy Henry, Shelley had learned very little about him. She knew he was a half-breed, and nine-tenths a complete Egypt with the final tenth largely depending on his mood. But other than that, he very rarely talked about himself. There was never any mention of family members, let alone parents. He had yet to even tell her his surname, forever brushing off the subject by saying he was keeping it secret to protect his family from the evil fairy folk in the world. So to finally meet his father was nothing short of an earth-shattering event for Shelley. The four men looked at her, Surprised by her sudden outburst, no doubt. Filthy Henry just stared blankly. He blinked once, very slowly, then shook his head and frowned. Okay, let's try that one again. Without input from the peanut gallery, if you would be so kind. Let me introduce Dagda, chief of the Celtic gods, the fairy detective said, gesturing towards the fat man. And his lovely assistant, whose name I don't know. Watch it, half-breed the pervert said. He turned to look at Shelley. I'm Brez, also a god. Really, Filthy Henry said. I don't think I've ever heard of you. New in town, are we? Just in from one of the islands off the coast? Brez turned his head and glared at Filthy Henry, a crackling ball of electricity forming in his left hand. Dagda sought the orb and snapped his fingers in front of Brez's nose. Do you really think that's a wise choice? Dagda asked. Fine, Brez said through gritted teeth. He closed his hand over the ball of electricity, extinguishing it. Wait just a second, Shelley said, holding her hands up in disbelief. Are you telling me that these are gods? Actual gods? Or is it just some sort of fairy race that I haven't met yet and you lot all call gods? All four of the men stood silent and stared at her again. It was so quiet that the pin could have heard itself drop if given half a chance. She slowly looked at each of them in the eyes, 
before finally turning and looking at Filthy Henry. Really? she asked him. You've never heard of pagan gods? Just because your god doesn't show up in person when you ask him for a favour doesn't mean they're all like that, Filthy Henry said. He looked over at Dagda. Of course, gods showing up what they want isn't exactly a great thing either. They get notions about themselves, too full of their own importance. Downey coughed loudly in the manner used to both clear one's throat and also break mounting tension. Um, is it possible we can get a move on with all of this? He said. We have what appears to be a dead fairy on the ground, an immortal that really shouldn't be asleep amongst all this fairy talk. He's a god, Filthy Henry said. The leerling looked down at the slumbering Trent. I don't think so, Downey said. I mean, I'm not a high-level magical being by any stretch of the imagination, but I reckon I could have sensed that. Not him, the fairy detective said, nodding at Trent. He nudged the orange-covered body beside him with the toe of his shoe. This guy, he's a god. That's why Dagda's here, right? Dagda and Brez glanced at each other. Shelley thought it was a look that bordered on the conspiratorial. Let's talk about this someplace else, Dagda said, raising up his hands. From each of his chubby digits, little red and green sparks started to appear, fanning out and filling the air. They spread through the air, forming a dome over everyone in a matter of seconds. As the sparks of magic touched the ground, they settled like snowflakes, creating a small wall amongst the blades of grass. There, the chief of the gods said, this dome will preserve the crime scene exactly as it is, while at the same time preventing anybody from stumbling into it who doesn't know it's here. It will make normal folk walk around the area, without them knowing they are walking around it. Now, for the rest of our discussion. Dagda clapped his large hands three times, and suddenly everything went white. They were seated at a corner booth in a small, quiet coffee shop in Lucan Village. The teleportation had happened before Filthy Henry was even aware this time. One second they were standing around the corpse of a god. The next, everyone was sitting together in one booth. Even Trent was there with them, although slumped forward in his seat and still unconscious. A red-headed waitress came over to take their order. Sorry, folks, I didn't see you come in, she said, glancing over at a little bell that hung stationary over the front door of the shop. Or peer you, for that matter. Well, we're like hungry ninjas, Filthy Henry said, hoping to stop any further questions about their arrival with little dose of humour. The waitress smiled at him pulling a notepad and pen out from the pocket of her apron. Well then, I'm Jen. What can I get you? she asked. Just some coffees and a plate of pastries, my dear, Dagda said, smiling at her in a slightly pervy manner. Make sure one of the coffees is black, Brez said, sitting at the very edge of the table with his arms folded. Jen jotted down the order, then left. Dagda stared after her as she walked towards the back of the coffee shop, leaning out a little from the booth so as to enjoy every last visual moment he could. Filthy Henry shook his head at the sight of the god acting like a randy teenager. Dagda was nearly as bad as Zeus from Greek mythology, coming down to the mortal plane every so often for some sort of out-of-town strange, as it were, generally resulting in the same problems that Zeus had. Lots of little super-powered kiddies running around all over the place. But of course the difference was that Greek mythology was completely made up. Stories and nothing more. Plus the fairy folk were pretty good at killing any half-breeds that did appear in the world, regardless of who their father was. With the exception of the fairy detective, of course. 
a little fact that kept a smile on Filthy Henry's face every day. A strange badge of honour, knowing that he was one half-breed the fairy people had failed to clean up. So, Filthy Henry said, taking off his trench coat and storing it on the back of the sleeping Trent. How about we get started? You pair requested I work on the dead god case. Why? From the corner of his eye, Filthy Henry saw Shelley patting down her pockets. Damn, she said. I must have left my notepad back at the office as well. Dagda made a small gesture with his hand, causing little white sparks to flow towards the table. In front of Shelley, a notepad and pen appeared. The pen jabbed through the spiral spine. She flipped it open and took the pen up in her left hand. Thanks so much, Shelley said. Okay, fire ahead. Dagda and Brez looked at each other. Brez sneered and gestured with a wave of his hand for Dagda to take the lead. Well, first things first, Dagda said. How did you know it was a dead god and not some fairy on the ground? Yeah, Danny chimed in. I mean, I'm a Garda. I didn't jump to that conclusion. What makes you so sure it's a god? Filthy Henry stared at Downey. They had what could be best described as a working relationship. Most of the fairy people did not make friends with Filthy Henry on account of him being a half-breed, though he was generally shunned throughout the entire magical world. Those few who did have dealings with him on a regular basis were, with only a few exceptions, not so much friendly as, well, just a little less cold. Downey just had a habit of forgetting that most of the time he and the fairy detective were both working to keep the fairy world safe and hidden from humans. Well, because gods generally walk the mortal plane for one of four reasons. They got bored and decided to mess with some people's heads by performing miracles. They got bored and figured it's time for a good old-fashioned war with all the trimmings. They got bored and spotted an attractive mortal with who they want to, I don't know, flirt with. Or something epic, a real once-in-a-lifetime-of-the-universe event. And they just want to be there to witness it. Both Downey and Dagda were slowly nodding along. Brez had started to inspect the dirt under his nails. So, Filthy Henry continued, given that both of them are still dressed, nobody has been cursed to blindness, and it isn't raining fire and brimstone all around us, it's probably safe to assume they are here for the body. Now you and I, Downey, have worked a few dead fairy cases in our time, and never has a god appeared, let alone shown interest meaning we can safely assume that the victim is in fact a god himself. A real once-in-a-universe event. Downey stared into space as he took all the information in. Filthy Henry was not willing to place money on it, but he would have bet Dagda had a little smile on his face. Shelley simply stared at everyone in the booth then began to scribble in her notepad. Well, I'm right, aren't I? Filthy Henry asked Dagda. So let's not bother with any sillier crap and get right down to my original question. Why me? You are correct. The dead god out there is Miak, god of healing. The youngest of the healing gods, as it happens. Son to a more senior healing god, the Inkect. We want you to find out who killed him, why he was killed, and most importantly how, Dagda said, scratching at his beard while he spoke. Shelley had jotted down notes as the god spoke. She looked up from the pad. How? What do you mean by how? Mirk was clearly stabbed. All that orange stuff. Which I'm assuming is the colour of God's blood. It came out of multiple stab wounds in his back. Yeah, except you can't kill a God, Filthy Henry said to her. At least not by stabbing one. 
If that was the case, then they'd stay up on their clouds and never interact with mortals for fear of getting poked with the business end of a steak knife. Very true, Dagdas said. There is no known way to kill a godly being, and trust me, if there was, I'd know about it. But there isn't. People believe in gods, and gods exist. That's just how the world works. You can't simply go and stab a god to get rid of him. After all, who would come up with the concept of a god that isn't immortal? What would the point in that be? You'd end up having new gods popping up every eighty-odd years as the previous ones died from old age. While Dagda spoke, Filthy Henry had watched Brez intently. He had shown no interest in what Dagda had been saying at all. Shelley scribbled down more notes in her pad. I still don't know why you need Filthy Henry, though, Downey said. No offence or nothing. Filthy Henry glared at the leerling. Ah, none taken, pillow stuffer, he said. But Swan Boy does make a point. This isn't something that's in breach of the rules. It's clearly some fairy type has figured out a way to kill a supposedly unkillable fairy. You don't need a neutral party to look into it. And since humans barely believe in their own gods, it's unlikely that one was involved. Just sort it out amongst your godly selves and leave me out of it. I've got a really important case to be working on already. Rez snorted. Oh, but a neutral party is very much needed, Rez said. Isn't that right, O great and wise chief? Otherwise, someone's going to have to god up and take corrective actions. Beside the portly god, Trent groaned and started moving about. Well, it's about bloody time, Downey said. Oh, sorry, the waitress said as she returned with their orders on a tray. Just the kitchen was really busy, and everyone in there was really confused about how you all got into the booth so quietly. Well, he wasn't talking to you, Filthy Henry said. So you can leave the tray and carry on about your business. Thanks very much. Dagda reached over and placed a large hand on the girl's forearm. Please ignore these two rude idiots, Jen. They were dragged up kicking and screaming, and seemed to have some deep-rooted issues that you couldn't beat out of them with a sledgehammer. So why don't you put that heavy tray down? Portly God said with a wink at the end. She did just that, placing a cup in front of everyone and leaving the plate of cakes and biscuits in the centre of the table. Dagda reached over and took up a slice of apple tart, chewing on it as he once again watched the girl depart from their booth and make her way towards another table of newly arrived customers. Customers who had the decency to jingle the little bell over the door as they entered. Shelley coughed, using that cough that all women possessed which had nothing to do with clearing their throat and everything to do with reminding the males around them that there was a female present. A female who was very much unimpressed by the current behaviour of the males surrounding her. Dagda's eyes opened a little wider and he slowly moved his head so that he was looking directly at Shelley. It's not often that that happens, he said to her. Okay, mm, Brez was just about to explain why you need to hire us, she said. Me, Filthy Henry said, spooning some sugar into his coffee. Us, Shelley snapped at him. Also, what's the other case? The one about the homeless guy. Disappeared in a flash of light. Very important. Sounds like a fairy kidnapping. You know, been working on it for a few weeks. Just up and vanished into thin air from his doorway. What about his name? Elliot something. Craig, I think. Well, which is it? Shelley asked. Well, both. When have you ever met a person with only one name? Well, I still don't know if you have two names or if Filthy really is your first name. So that sort of negates your argument. You're telling me you're working on a missing persons case. 
looking for Elliot Craig. You totally just made that name up. I didn't, Filthy Henry said, trying his best to look shocked at the accusation being thrown his way. Plus, it's Craig Elliot, not Elliot Craig. Elliot Craig definitely sounds made up. Poor Mr. Elliot needs me to find out what fairy kidnapped him, with the flash of magic. It doesn't ring a bell, Shelley said, shaking her head, or even sound like an actual case. So let's listen to what these real clients have to say. Why did Brez say you needed a neutral party? The last question she directed towards Dagda. Oh, right, Dagda said. Yes, thank you for reminding me about that. You're ever so good. Brez? Brez did not reply. His gaze was fixed intently on Trent. We need a neutral party to figure out who killed Miak, because we think it may have been a fellow god, Dagda said. There is some evidence that suggests he was killed by one of his own kind, meaning that the gods are not allowed to get involved in the investigation, as we would be biased, defending our fellow deity regardless and all that. Not all the gods would be, Rez said, still staring at Trent. The young recruit had started to move about more now, clearly rousing out of a shocked slumber. Filthy Henry found it strange that Brez was staring at Trench so much. He also found his last statement odd. Why would some gods want to make sure one of their own was found guilty of murdering another god? It made no sense, unless this was the new way gods played war with each other. Also, just what was Brez the god of? Filthy Henry had dealings with gods a few times during his life, and not once had Brez ever been mentioned. But I'm confused, Shelley said, still writing as she spoke. Aren't gods omnipotent? Well, that is sort of complicated, Dagda said, placing the rest of the apple tart slice into his mouth and licking his fingers to make sure every last crumb was consumed. Filthy Henry took a sip from his coffee and considered all that had just been said. He noticed that there had been no mention of payment yet. A case this big would need a big payment. But how exactly did a person negotiate with a god? Gods generally did whatever the hell they wanted, assuming they had enough followers. Followers were very important to gods, in a way that most people knew nothing about. But regardless of what they would get paid, the case did sound like an interesting one. There were very few private detectives in the world that dealt primarily with fairy cases, let alone murdered gods. Then again, the fairy detective did not feel like he owed the Celtic gods any favours. They had never helped him during his life. In fact, it was because of their rules that his mother had had to pull some tricks in order to avoid having her only son replaced by a changeling and killed. So Filthy Henry felt it was somewhat ironic that the head god himself had now come looking for a half-breed's help. Well now, Filthy Henry began to say. We'll take the case, Shelley declared, reaching across to shake Dagda's hand. Trent lifted his head up from the table, opened and closed his mouth a few times like a fish, then looked at them with bleary eyes. What happened? he asked. Did I miss something? Filthy Henry, The Impossible Victim is book two of the Filthy Henry series by Derek Power. This completely free audiobook version was narrated by Niall Milton. Other Filthy Henry books are available to buy on Amazon Kindle.